Base Materialism and Gnosticism If one thinks of a particular object, it is easy to distinguish matter from form, and an analogous distinction can be made with regard to organic beings, with form taking on the value of the unity of being and of its individual existence. But if things as a whole are taken into account, transposed distinctions of this kind become arbitrary and even unintelligible. Two verbal entities are thus for formed, explicable only through their constructive value in the social order. An abstract god, or simply the idea, and abstract matter, the chief guard and the prison walls. The variants of this metaphysical scaffolding are of no more interest than are the different styles of architecture. People become excited trying to know if the prison came from the guard or if the guard came from the prison. Even though this agitation has had a primordial historical importance, today it risks provoking a delayed astonishment, if only because of the disproportion between the consequences of the debate and its radical insignificance. It is nevertheless very remarkable that the only kind of materialism that up to now in its development has escaped systematic abstraction, namely dialectical materialism, has as its starting point, at least as much as ontological materialism, absolute idealism in its Hegelian form. Now, Hegelianism, no less than the classical philosophy of Hegel's period, apparently proceeded from very ancient metaphysical conceptions, conceptions developed by, among others, the Gnostics. In an epoch when metaphysics could still be associated with the most monstrous, dualistic, and therefore strangely abased cosmogonies, I admit that I have, in respect to mystical philosophies, only an unambiguous interest, analogous in practice to that of an uninfatuated psychiatrist toward his patients. It seems to me rather pointless to point to put one's trust in tendencies that, without meeting resistance, lead to the most pitiful honesty and bankruptcy. But it is difficult today to remain indifferent even to partly falsified solutions brought at the beginning of the Christian era to problems that do not appear noticeably different from our own, which are those of a society whose original principles have become, in a very precise sense, the dead letter of a society that must put itself in question and overturn itself in order to rediscover motives of force and violent agitation. Thus the adoration of an ass-headed god the ass being the most hideously comic animal, and at the same time the most humanly virile, seems to be capable of taking on even today a crucial value, the severed ass's head of the acephalic personification of the sun undoubtedly represents, even if imperfectly, one of materialism's most virulent manifestations.
etc., etc. Philosophy, religion, and poetry in relation to heterology. The interest of philosophy resides in the fact that, in opposition to science or common sense, it must positively envisage the waste products of intellectual appro appropriation. Nevertheless, it most often envisages these waste products only in abstract forms of totality. Nothingness, infinity, the absolute, to which in itself cannot give a positive content. It can thus freely proceed in speculations that more or less have as a goal, all things considered, the sufficient identification of an endless world with a finite world, an unknowable noumenal world with the known phenomenal world. Only an intellectual elaboration in a religious form can, in its periods of autonomous development, put forward the waste products of appropriative thought as the definitively heterogeneous or sacred object of speculation. But in general, one must take into account the fact that religions bring about a profound separation within the sacred domain, dividing it into a superior world, celestial and divine, and an inferior world, maniacal, a world of decomposition. Now, such a division necessarily leads to a progressive homogeneity of the entire superior domain. Only the inferior domain resists all efforts at appropriation. God rapidly and almost entirely loses his terrifying features, his appearance as a decomposing cadaver, in order to become, at the final stage of degradation, the simple paternal sign of universal homogeneity. In practice, one must understand by religion not really that which answers the need for the unlimited projection, expulsion, or excretion of human nature, but the totality of prohibitions, obligations, and partial freedom that socially channel and regularize this projection. Religion thus differs from a practical and theoretical heterology, even though both are equally concerned with sacred or excremental facts, not only in that the former excludes the scientific rigor proper to the latter, which generally appears as different from religion as chemistry is from alchemy, but also in that under normal conditions, it betrays the needs that it was not only supposed to regulate, but satisfy. Poetry at first glance seems to remain valuable as a method of mental projection in that it permits one to accede to an entirely heterogeneous world, but it is only too easy to see that it is hardly less debased than religion. It has almost always been at the mercy of the great historical systems of appropriation, and insofar as it can be developed autonomously, this autonomy leads it onto the path of a total poetic conception of the world, which ends at any one of a number of aesthetic homogeneities. The practical unreality of the heterogeneous elements it sets in motion is, in fact, an indispensable condition for the continuation of heterogeneity, starting from the moment when this unreality immediately constitutes itself as a superior reality, whose mission is to eliminate or degrade inferior vulgar reality Poetry is reduced to playing the role of the standard of things, and, in opposition, the worst vulgarity 
takes on an ever stronger excremental value.